So let's stand for the reading. We'll read all of it from 12 to 26, and we'll see, uh, we'll see what we have here. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And people, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So in, uh, in Disney's Aladdin, as you're introduced to the genie and were told about the genie and his lot in life, um, he, he, he bemoans sort of the, the state of his existence. And he says, you know, yeah, it's great to have the cosmic powers, but, you know, you're constantly at someone else's beck and call. You know, he says, you know, it's constantly poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? But... I don't know if anyone who has a genie ever actually answers that question. I don't think anyone ever answers the question to a genie, what do you need? I think they only ever answer the question, what do you want? But sometimes what we want, we assume, is what we need. And sometimes what we want overshadows what we need, and we can't even see our real needs because we are so 
taken in by all of our wants and desires. It's sort of what we have, especially in the second uh, of these passages. We have a difference between what we want and what we need. But first, we want to look at this first passage, the leper, because he certainly seems to have both a need and a want, doesn't he? Leprosy uh, was a debilitating disease. Now, uh, leprosy in the Bible is not necessarily, though it included what we know today as leprosy, uh, but it included also other skin diseases uh, that were often contagious uh, and would spread. Leprosy, though, at the time, whether it was the, what we know as leprosy or any of these other diseases, uh, it was uh, really it was a living death if you had leprosy. Uh, lepers were expected to wear torn clothing, keep their hair intentionally unkempt, cover themselves with dirt and ashes, and if they came even close to someone else, they were to cover their upper lip and yell, unclean, unclean, as a warning for people to stay away. This is actually in Scripture. This is how lepers were to uh, exist. This is in, in Leviticus 13, if you want to read about it. They weren't allowed to have any contact with any other person, whether friend or even family member. If a leper refused to leave town, authorities were allowed to beat them. They could uh, strike them with the 39 lashes uh, in order to convince them to leave. If a leper touched an animal, the animal was to be killed. That's how dirty or filthy or contagious, a leper was. If, an, if a leper entered a house, the house and all of its contents were to be burned. Rabbis commanded people to avoid lepers, not only for sanitary or health considerations, but also for moral reasons. Uh, there is just an assumption, though it's nowhere in Scripture, there was just such an assumption that it was such an un cleanliness, it was such an isolating and debilitating thing that clearly you must be sinful. Clearly you've done something to bring this on yourself. It's, it, nobody would be living this existence uh, if God were pleased with them. They were truly the untouchables of society. They were despised, forsaken, forgotten, ignored, judged, condemned. It is no wonder that many lepers uh, would end up living in the tombs, among graves, and eventually would simply commit suicide. If this man is described as being full of leprosy, it means that this is not just something that happened last week to him, because leprosy would spread slowly. For him to be full of leprosy, he has been without human contact for years. He's been living in isolation. Which is why it's shocking just to open the passage saying, while they were in a city, a leper approached them. So not only is it odd that this leper has come to a city, he's now approaching a crowd. These are two no-no's. The leper 
it's not just that they moved along and happened upon a leper at the side of the road. This leper is seeking out Jesus. He has heard rumors. He has heard stories. And he is going to the only place left that has hope for him. And so he goes to Jesus. I can imagine that the, the crowd parted like the Red Sea before Moses as people sought to get away from this man. And yet Jesus doesn't move. He doesn't flinch away as the man approaches. In fact, Jesus does move actually. But his movement is toward the man. He's not undone by the man's filth or by his state in life, by his circumstances. Jesus is not moved by disgust or fear or loathing or judgment. He's moved by pity. He's moved by compassion. When Jesus looks at this man, he doesn't see a situation. He doesn't see a problem. He doesn't see filth. He sees a human being with a need. I love that it's, it's not even a question of ability. This man doesn't ask if Jesus is able. He doesn't doubt that. He just wonders if he's willing. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response is so short. I will be clean. And he reaches out and touches the man. If, if it was shocking to see the leper in the city, like we, we don't have a grasp for how shocking it would have been to see Jesus reach out and touch this man. Because by all accounts, even in the law, this should make Jesus unclean. It's even if you... You know, if you, are, if, if, if you are unclean and you touch even a holy thing in the temple, that holy thing becomes unclean. If you are unclean and you, you know, if you're clean or you, you drop something on a dead carcass, on a dead body on the side of the road, an animal or anything, that becomes unclean. You become unclean. You, you, uncleanliness is the contagion not cleanliness. This is, this is still true today. Like, like, we don't think that we can, like, breathe on each other and catch health. Like, we don't, we don't do that. You don't lay down next to your kid as they're all snotty and runny nose and everything and breathe on them hoping that they'll get better in the morning. No, you avoid them because they breathe on you and you know what's going to come next. One of my children had mono once and, and, uh, and she was just miserable. And so I would sit and read books to her and help her keep up with her work. And one time she was just sitting there and she just looked miserable. And I looked over at her and she just goes, <coughs> and I was like, you just coughed in my mouth. <laughs> and she said, sorry. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you can't get mad at a kid because they're, they're miserable when they're sick. And, and it's, as a parent, you just know you're going to get sick. You don't stop kissing your children just because there's green stuff all over their face. You know, you, it's, part of, it's a part of life. You're going to catch whatever they have. You just know that's going to happen. But that's not what happens here. The man catches 
cleanliness from Jesus. Jesus makes the man clean with a touch. And it's immediate. Just like the demon is immediately cast out. Just like Simon's mother-in-law immediately is restored to health. This man is immediately clean by the work of Jesus. Jesus willingly receives this man, elevates this man, even as he endangers himself, at least in the eyes of the crowd. Jesus is exchanging places with the man. The man is immediately clean. People are wondering, is Jesus now unclean? This man, he is filthy. He's despised. He's an outcast. He's so dirty that if he touches an animal, the animal is dirty. He's so dirty, if he enters a house, the house is dirty. He's so dirty, if he touches an article of clothing, the clothing is dirty. If he even touches another human, that human is dirty. And yet Jesus touches the man, and the man becomes clean. What's this weird thing that Jesus says to him? Go and show yourself uh, to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses required. It was a proof that you were clean. So if you had leprosy, this also is in the Old Testament, you would would go, and it was a week-long process. You would have a sacrifice at the beginning of the seven days, and then another sacrifice at the end of the seven days. At the beginning, you would bring two doves with you. And you would show yourself to the priests. They would examine you. Okay, so you seem to be clean. That's why it was a week-long process. Then you come back in a week, and we'll see if you actually are clean, see if it's completely gone. So the first time, though, you bring these two doves. And one dove is sacrificed, is killed. And the blood from that dove is then sprinkled on the other dove and then sprinkled also on the cleansed leper. And then here's this dove covered with the blood of its fellow dove flying away, freed. Then you'd come back a week later, and you would bring now two male lambs and a ewe. Uh, Both male lambs would be sacrificed this time, one as a burnt offering, one as a sin offering. And again, the blood would be sprinkled on uh, the individual. Again, it's not because... Leprosy always or even ever was because of sin, but it was really a restoration party in one sense, because imagine being excluded for as long as you have leprosy from the community of God's people, not allowed to even come to the temple to worship until you're cleansed, and however long that takes. And so this would be a joyful time for this person to come and for the first time in who knows how long, maybe years, they're finally allowed to come and offer sacrifices, a burnt offering and a sin offering. It's not that, again, it's not that leprosy always was associated with sin. It's just that God never wastes an opportunity to give you a picture of salvation. Here is this person who comes, who needs cleansing, but there's nothing he can do to cleanse himself. It must come from beyond him, from outside of him. And here's this picture of this dove flying away, covered by the blood of its fellow dove. 
This dove free to live its life. Another dove has been sacrificed. We're reminded that, that even our, this cleansing ritual is a picture of how, how we need someone. We need someone's blood to make us clean. We need someone else to make us holy. We don't stand in God's presence clean and holy on our own. We stand if we are cleansed in Christ alone. The problem is that we would rather dwell in squalor away from God than, than live in what we consider the confines of his city. It's just amazing that Christ in his compassion is never repulsed by our filth. He is never turned off by it. He never parts the ways. He never uh, shrinks back. He always is approaching us. He's always receiving us, always reaching out and bringing us in. Jesus is driven by his love for his Father. He's driven by his commitment to the gospel. He's driven by his compassion for you to constantly, always come after you, receiving you, covering you with his blood so that you can be cleansed, so that you can be clean. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God, the sin offering, the sacrifice of atonement that has satisfied the wrath of God. He has pronounced you clean in God's sight forever. You don't have to be isolated. You don't have to stay away. He says, come. Come to the table. Eat. Drink. Remember. Believe. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the complete remission of all your sins. So I think we will stop and shock everyone. Uh, not stop the service, but now we don't have to rush through communion. And so, and there's more time to just recall that all of Scripture, like communion is a great celebration. It's a great opportunity. And, and this is a perfect well, not that there's any imperfect passages. You're not going to do read a passage and say, well, what a horrible passage for communion. This, But this is uniquely wonderful because who here doesn't know how filthy you are? Who doesn't know and feel the weight of sin? And Jesus says, Come. Jesus says, eat, drink. Jesus came only for the filthy, only for sinners. This table is only for sinners. If you have no sin to confess, you have no need of a Savior. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost.
and then know and receive the, the cleansing touch of Jesus Christ that He takes your filth on Him, that you get to live in the sight of God as though you are the righteous Son of God. That's how complete that transaction is, that you you bear the righteousness of Christ because He bore the unrighteousness of you on the cross. It is the exchange beyond just a leprous, a touch of a leper who now is clean. You have received the touch of the Son of God and your sins are taken away. That is what we celebrate at the table. That is worth celebrating and worth even taking our time in celebrating. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your goodness to us, for the love that we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you that you took on our sin. You bore our sin in your body on the tree. We who were once dead in our trespasses, dead in our Sin are now alive in Christ. And all that is left for us to do is to believe, to realize that you can and you have. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.